So I want to invite uh, all of the kindergarten through fifth graders to join me up here. If you'll just come and have a seat right here on the floor. If you're kindergarten through fifth grade, if you'll just come here. We want to share a little bit. And while they're coming here, if anyone needs a worship folder, um, you guys, if you'll sit there uh, on the floor looking this way, okay? That'd be great. Um, um, if you need a worship folder, if you need a worship outline, they're on the back table. Leanne Wilson is back there holding them up. Uh, we're, this is actually the beginning of the message, but we want the kids to share in it in a special way. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Yeah. So I want to ask you guys a question, okay? How do you know that your parents love you? I mean, first of all, raise your hand if you think your parents love you, right? Okay, good. Whew. Glad we got through that one. <laughs> um, but why do you say that? What are, what are some things that happen that make you think or make you know that your parents love you? Raise your hand, okay? That they kiss you. They kiss you? That's right. In fact, I think I have a picture of uh, something like that. It might... Uh, it might be they kiss you, they hug you, or something like that. Okay, what, what do you think? They hugging? Yes? Okay, good answer. <laughs> they take care of you, that's right. They let you stay in the house, that is true. <laughs> Because you don't have to pay to stay in the house, right? Somebody else is paying for it. Okay, that's good. Okay. They give you presents. Yeah, I think I have. Sometimes they do things with you, right? Okay. And maybe they give you a present, right? They help you do the right thing. And that's what we're kind of getting to. Sometimes parents show how much they love us by helping us know what is right. It's what, what we call discipline. It, they teach us what is right, and they expect us to do what is right. And that's, that's part of it. So what I want you guys to do is to stand right where you are and turn around and look out at you. You guys stand. Look out at your parents and say, thank you for loving me. And you may have never said this before, but say, thank you for disciplining me. All right, and go give them a hug. There you go. And, and by the way, kids, if there is a children's packet in the back that has a special place where you can take notes and draw pictures. Miss Lynn is back there. If, the, if you did not get a children's packet, you can go back there right now uh, to Miss Lynn and grab one of those. I was really surprised that a couple of people said about discipline, and nobody was supposed to say that. <laughs> but it's true. We don't tend to think of that. When you're a kid, you don't think, oh, my parents show me, they're showing me how much they love me by disciplining me. And we also don't think about that as Christians, right? God is our Father, 
And he shows his love for us in many ways, including giving us discipline, teaching us, training us. And so I want to invite you to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. We are working through this New Testament letter of Hebrews, and we come today to verses 4 through 11 of Hebrews 12. That's going to be our, our passage for today. Let me read that for you. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father or as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. This is the word of God. Lord Jesus, we bow in your presence we have read your word. And now we are asking you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, to enlighten us to this word, to illumine our hearts and our minds, to help us understand it and apply it. And may every single person be changed by hearing the word of God. Every believer drawn closer to you and those who aren't believers yet to be drawn to you, to that personal relationship with you. May you be pleased in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the context of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. After pointing to Jesus as an example who endured through suffering, now the author is transitioning from persecution to the benefits of God's discipline in the life of believers. He talked about Jesus and his suffering. He mentions their own suffering, which is persecution, and then moves even beyond that 
to talk about hardship in general as being part of God's discipline. And in fact, in these verses, we learn some reasons why we should embrace God's discipline. It is very easy to ignore God's discipline, to reject God's discipline, but this passage is calling us to embrace God's discipline. Reason number one is is evidence of God's love for you. That's what we were talking about with the kids just a minute ago. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, this group of people had been persecuted for their faith. They had undergone difficulties. We're going to learn in the next chapter, chapter 13, it seemed like some have been imprisoned for their faith in Christ, and others have been abused or suffered terribly. We know that about them. However, the one thing that does not seem to have happened yet for them is none of them apparently have been martyred. We know that will happen in church history. But he says, you haven't resisted yet to the point of shedding your blood. That's what he means by that language, shedding your blood. Jesus shed his blood for you, meaning he died. You haven't yet died for him. Verse 5, he asks a question. At least that's the way it's translated. In, in the original language, this can be translated as a question or it can be translated as a statement, either one. I like the question form. Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. This is quoting Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. Proverbs 3, 11, and 12 says, almost identical language, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son, he delights in. Now, two things are warned against here. The first is despising the Lord's discipline, making light of it. And the second one is losing heart when God rebukes you. Sometimes you might be going through tough times, and it seems like the tough times keep going on and on, and you just start to lose heart spiritually. You're, you give up, or you're tempted to give up spiritually. And that's what we're not supposed to do, according to this passage. How often is it true that God speaks to us through difficulties. Sometimes more often than through happy times. Raymond Brown gives several things, several examples of the types of things that God could be teaching us when we go through tough times. He said he might, 
he may be calling us to renewed confidence in his providential care. He might be calling us to a fresh willingness to commit our entire life to him, whatever the outcome of our immediate difficulties. He might be calling us to a desire for God's will and not our own wishes. He might be calling us to a readiness to go through any experience if only it will make us more like Christ in the end. Verse 12 gives us the reason back in the Hebrews passage to embrace rather than uh, uh, reject God. The Lord disciplines those he loves. We often talk about how God loves us, and he does. We often sing about God's love, and that's appropriate. But maybe most of the time, we're not thinking about God disciplining us when we're saying those things or when we're singing those things. And yet, the fact that he disciplines us means he loves us. He cares about us. He wants the best for us. And it's good to note that discipline is not the same thing as punishment. When we say discipline, it doesn't mean punishment. Sometimes it may include that. But discipline is this. You, you as the parent on the human plane see the path that your children should walk in. And so you teach and train them that. And if they start walking off that path, you put in the necessary correction. That's what, that's what discipline is. And God does that for us. And it proves that he loves us. Warren Wiersbe says, Satan wants us to believe that the difficulties of life are proof that God does not love us. But just the opposite is true. And that's what this passage is saying. That's the first reason we should embrace it. It's like, it doesn't feel good, but God loves me. The second reason is related. All three of these are very related to each other. They build on each other. It is evidence of your salvation. Verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father? Now, if you're looking at your Bible or maybe your phone, that you're looking at the scripture on the phone, you will see the word discipline appear over and over and over in this context. Notice I've got them highlighted. Verse 5, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Verse 8, if you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the same time. And in verse 8, if you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline. Did, can anybody guess what the th main theme of this passage is? <laughs> I love to see fathers treasuring their children, right? It's just a small picture of how God treasures us. So for those fathers that are here, 
and you're doing it, keep it up. Treasure your children no matter what age they are. It's a great picture to them of what the heavenly, how the Heavenly Father feels about them. But treasuring is not, God's treasuring us is not just always a warm, fuzzy feeling that he has towards us. He treasures us enough to say, I want the best for them. I am going to allow things in their life. He might directly bring things into our life, or he might allow things to come into our life. Everything is at least allowed, and some things are specifically brought. And this is the way he treasures us. It's like, I want the best for them, and I know by themselves they're not going to end up on the best, most mature, most perfect path. So I'm going to bring some difficulty. I'm going to bring some pressure. I'm going to bring some squeezing. So if God is squeezing you right now, maybe you could think about it this way. Thank you, God, that you're showing me I'm yours. I belong to you. We're not talking about, you know, like, quote, the power of positive thinking. We're not talking about looking on the bright side or something that anybody with any religion or no religion can say. We're talking about God's truth, that God treasures those that are his and if you are his, you will be disciplined. And what, what could be greater to know that we really belong to God, that we are really his now and forever? So why should you embrace God's discipline? First of all, it's evidence of God's love. Second, second it's evidence of your salvation. And finally, God uses discipline to train us. Verse 9, moreover, we all have had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? So here's the comparison. He's, again, going back and forth with this comparison. In the human family, in the first century, the fathers were the ones that were responsible for setting forth discipline and setting forth the training of children. And so he says, we have had those kinds of fathers who did that. We've had that at the human plane. And now, what did you do? You respected them for it. But it's a comparison. That's one level. But think about our heavenly father. In fact, that's why it's called the father of spirits. If you submit to him, you will live. You go back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. God gave them commands to obey and said, if, if, you, if you do what I'm telling you to do, you will live. But there's only one fruit in the middle of the garden you can't eat. And they ate that one, and they died spiritually and brought, uh, spiritual death was brought to every person as a result of that. You know, I want to make a side note <laughs> to parents here. I want to encourage you to discipline your children. 
Moms and dads, I want to encourage you to lovingly discipline your children. In love, of course. We're not talking about child abuse or something like that. We're talking about loving discipline. We're talking about you see the path of righteousness and maturity that God has laid out in his word, and you are going to help your children get there. Now, ultimately, they will make their own decisions, especially the older they get, and that's the way God designed it. But I want to encourage you, indeed, to discipline your children. Don't, I, I, I think our society today is moving further and further away from even a simple biblical truth like this. It's like uh, children will not be disciplined. Uh, so, Parents, I want to encourage you to do it. Listen to this verse, Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. So your charge as a parent is not to be your child's best friend or their buddy. Your charge is to train them in the ways of the Lord and to teach them what is right. I think about my own life. I think about my father who's uh, been gone since 2014. I had to have a lot of discipline growing up. <laughs> and my dad was right there for the task. <laughs> um, he was strong. He was loving. He taught me and my sister. He taught us what was right. He taught us to be responsible. He taught us to work hard. He taught us to clean up after ourselves. He taught us to respect others. He taught us to give to the Lord and to love the church. Before we ever were old enough to make any money, they would always give us a little bit of money so we could put our offerings in. He, he taught us. He trained us. He and my mom together really disciplined us and taught us and trained us. And there were times when I was a teenager that I didn't say, thank you. It's amazing how much smarter my dad became the older I got. And it's a wonderful thing. You, you, uh, it's almost like a, a funnel. When they're small, you, you, you control everything, parents. You, you, every action, you say yes or no, and you build in a consequence. And then the older they get, the more you open it up, the more you open it up, the more you open it up, you let them make more decisions, and you let them experience some of their consequences on their own until finally when they're, when they're young adults, they're, they are on their own. But there's nothing better than a relationship with adult children that has been built on an early childhood of discipline and respect. So I just want to encourage you, those of you who are parents, uh, this is free. There's no extra charge for this today. Discipline your children and stay at it. I don't think there's anything you can do that's more godlike in terms of relating to your kids. Discipline them, love them. We've all had those parents, the writer says, but look what, how the passage goes. Look at the contrast now. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. 
in order that we may share in his holiness. Unfortunately, some people have experienced relationship with parents where the discipline wasn't good and wasn't right and wasn't just. And my heart goes out to you if you've experienced that. But even if you've grown up in a healthy environment with healthy parenting, even there, human parents aren't perfect. They, they did it kind of as they thought best. But look what God does. God does it always for our good so we can share in his holiness. God never disciplines us out of frustration. It's never that he's having a bad day so he, quote, takes it out on us, as unfortunately sometimes parents might do on their kids. God does it for our holiness. That's the goal if you look at the end of the verse, that we may share in his holiness. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Fruit doesn't appear right away. Crops, when you plant crops in the ground, you don't go out the next day and expect them to bloom. It takes time for it to happen, right? It's, it's grass planting season here in, in Charlotte in the, this fall, right? How many of you, did you notice a bunch of little flags in the yard as you came in? Did anybody see any, any orange flags? Nobody saw the orange Raise your hand. If you, okay, some of you saw the orange flags. Well, earlier this week, you know, the lawn was aerated and seeded and fertilized. The flags are where the water sprinklers go. <laughs> Moved one to this spot, to this spot, to this spot. And so you plant the grass seed, and it's, it's not like you go out the next day and it pops up. I did it at home about 10 or 11 days ago, and actually, you know, every day, watering it every day, every day, watering, putting some dirt on it, cover it up every single day. And then finally, Friday, I saw just a little bit of green stuff popping out of the ground, right? It, the harvest takes time. We live in an instant society. We want immediate results. And when we're going through tough times, we want them to end. And yet, God is just producing a harvest of righteousness and peace in us. And when we submit to him, it will happen. It's like, it's like the water. It's like the sunshine on the plants and the grass. It will come. And then at the end of the verse, he switches metaphors back. He's been talking about this agricultural type of metaphor about a harvest. And he goes back to an athletic one, to those who have been trained by it. The word used in the original is used for athletic training. And remember at the beginning of chapter 12, he said, run with perseverance the race that is set before you. And so now those who have been trained by it, they're the ones that will experience righteousness and peace. They're the ones that know God's discipline is exceedingly worth it. Second Corinthians chapter 4, Paul the apostle 
said, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. James picks this up as well. James chapter 1, verse 2, I can consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance have its, finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures speaks to us in our consciences, but shouts to us in our pains. And I think that's what the Word of God is saying here. So here's God's Word for us this morning. You see on your outline sheet, there's a blank. This is the one summary of it all. God trains those he loves through discipline. So embrace it. God trains those he loves through discipline. So embrace it. What are you going through today that's painful? Is it a health issue? Is it a struggle in marriage or relationships? Is it finances? Is it uncertainty? Whatever it is that you are going through that is painful, embrace it. Embrace the hardship, not, because, not for the sake of the hardship itself, but for the sake that we have a God who is our Father, who is sovereign, who knows everything, who allows everything, and is loving us and training us. Now, I want to make this qualification, not, please don't go away and say, oh, every bad thing that happens to me or every hard thing I experience is because I've sinned, I've done something wrong. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what the scripture teaches. You know, we do live in a fallen world. Ever since Adam and Eve and sin entered the world, death entered the world, and there is hardship, there is difficulty, and it doesn't matter if you're the most spiritual person in the world, the closest you've ever been to God, or you don't know God at all, there's still going to be trips to the dentist. There's still going to be flat tires. There's still going to be doctor's visits. There's still going to be relational disappointments. We live in a broken world, so I am not saying that every hard thing is a direct punishment from God. Far be it for me to say that. Certainly the scripture is not saying that. Some things just happen. <laughs> and it's not because we're close to God or far away. Okay? So I'm not 
encouraging that you suddenly start examining every single or trying to find the reason behind every single thing. Some people say, well, I just don't know why this is happening. Join the crowd. But it may be, certainly if you're God's child and you are straying from him, you better hope he starts disciplining you because that helps you know that you're his. And it may be that you're not necessarily doing anything wrong, but God wants to take you to the next level of maturity. And so the hardship can help there. Have any of you read the book, Hind's Feet on High Places? Raise your hand. A, a, a couple of you have. A few of you have. It's, it's a parable. Right? It's, it's, it's like Pilgrim's Progress. It's a modern allegory similar to that. But instead of dealing with the overall Christian journey, it focuses on a life of fear, anxiety, and self-loathing. The main character is named Much Afraid. <laughs> Much Afraid. And Much Afraid is constantly harassed by her family, the fearings. They oppress her and they criticize her all the time. But Much Afraid loves the shepherd. And the shepherd has a goal. The shepherd wants to take her to the high places. That's a far-off land, a good land in the far mountains. So it's a kind of about, it's about that journey of the shepherd wanting to take much afraid to the high places. And so to help her get there, he gives her a couple of companions two sisters who were named sorrow and suffering. And he basically is saying, let them go with you. And if they go with you, you'll get to the high places. Along the way, much afraid is tempted. There, another character enters named Pride who tempts her to give up and to be discouraged. And in that moment, she calls out to the chief shepherd who rescues her, and he gently rebukes her that she should not have let go of the hands of those two sisters suffering and sorrow. Because if she had held on to them, she would have gotten to the high places. That is what the writer of Hebrews 12 is encouraging us to do as well. I want to close with a personal note. I've, I've had a lot of ups and downs in 46 years of knowing Christ personally. There have been some great experiences, some highs and some lows some easy times and some incredibly hard times. But I want to tell you this morning, the Word of God is true. And you can depend on it. And it is true that as I look back over my life, I think, I think God has taught me to depend on Him more 
and to be closer to him and to mature more in the tougher times rather than in the easy times. God trains those who he loves through discipline, so embrace it. Embrace it. And on your outline sheet, here's how we're going to close. I used to put this on the outline sheet every single week. How I can put the word into practice this week. And I would want to give you a few minutes there alone. You and God, look at that paper. Maybe you want to write something down. Maybe you just want to pray. Maybe you want to just ask the Lord. Maybe you want to kneel. But let's just take a little bit of time here before we rush out the door back into a hectic life probably. How can you put this word into practice today? Take a couple of minutes to do that now.